Few things help an individual more than to place responsibility upon him and to let him know that you trust him. Booker T. Washington Man's time here is finite, but the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? Leading virtual teams. This couldn't be more relevant than today <laughs> with the COVID situation where, where businesses have moved out of the traditional office setting and we're all in homes, working in home offices, trying to work in a virtual world. And um, not only is that taking place, it's super effective. Working from home and in virtual settings, it, it allows people to have more time on their hands from lack of commutes. Uh, we waste less time in non-essential conversation and activity and things like that. However, the downside is also the lack of interaction with humans. Um, I think a lot of companies are going to see just how impressive people are when they work from home on their own time on their own schedules, and a lot of this is going to be here to stay. So I think it's extremely important that people understand how to manage and lead virtual teams. I think we've, over time, faded away from, you know, the whole managing role with, I'm doing air quotes. We don't need to manage people. In fact, I heard a talk from Stephen R. Covey, probably at least a decade ago. It was probably more than that, maybe 15 years ago. And Stephen R. Covey kind of marched through the eras of time where he said, like, way back it was hunters and gatherers. And they it took all day every day, basically, to get enough food to survive to the next one. And then all of a sudden, people started producing farms. They would organize it and plant, and they would raise the plants, and then they started raising animals, and all of a sudden, you've got a year's worth of food that a few people could create or manage the farm, and that could feed several more people. So then, all of a sudden, they have this excess of time. And that lasted a super long time. And then we started moving into the industrial or manufacturing age. And now all of a sudden we're organizing how to manufacture certain things or really mass producing products that are useful to the masses. And that can be done by few people to serve many more people. And so now we've got more excess of time. So we move from the manufacturing era into the information age where we're trading information and trying to do data and services and, and sales and all these things via telephone, internet, etc. Well, Stephen R. Covey then said at that time, we're moving into a place where people will no longer be managed and report to a boss, but they'll do things freelance. It'll be more like you do what you want to do, do what you're best at, do it when you want to do it, we won't have managers and bosses. We'll sort of have a bunch of small businesses that do what they like to do. And I, I think we're seeing that come true. 
But yet we still have these massive organizations. Now, as we walk through those eras, it's not like we've gotten rid of farming, gotten rid of manufacturing, gotten rid of, of the information age or whatever. Those still exist. They're just done by fewer and fewer people. And more and more of the new jobs, the new things are on the front end of the next era. So now we have these big organizations trying to exist and succeed with this new vision. And so it's extremely important to know how to manage or lead, is a better word, how to lead teams in this world. So I'm going to give you a few very brief stories about what psychologists and studies have revealed about very simple things that help improve team collaboration and and belonging. Okay, so from the book, The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande, says that psychologists found that teams who know each other's names work more collaboratively. They're more willing to ask questions or speak up when they notice something's wrong. They're um, more willing to voice their opinions, to stop the surgery, etc., when they feel isolated and they don't know people's names, they're kind of like they question themselves and they're not sure who they should bring this up to. There's just a lack of familiarity, and therefore, they're less willing to talk about the real issues. They're less happy. They're less satisfied. There's a more more negative feelings. Simply implementing a checklist where these surgery teams in hospitals would stop and make sure that they knew everybody's name before they started the surgery, improved their outcomes as well as their satisfaction. So to illustrate this point, the Kaiser Hospitals in Southern California did a six-month trial of this simple checklist. And it lasted for six months. They did over 3,500 surgeries. And during the time that that this was occurring... The team climate rating changed from good to outstanding. The employee satisfaction score rose by 19%. And nurse turnover went down from 23% to 7% that year. Which is crazy because nurse turnover is one of the biggest expenses to hospitals. And part of that is due to the fact that nurses can just bounce between floors and jobs and levels of care and all kinds of options with a very similar pay range and they can just rearrange their hours or kind of get a new a new spin on what they do so there's a lot of pull to change jobs whenever you're you know feeling like you want to but i also know that the large hospitals in in america spend more than six million dollars a year on nurse turnover alone which is an insanely huge rate. It also translates into bad outcomes for patients just because when you're new at any job, you're not as efficient and proficient. <laughs> so that's an insanely small rate. It went down to 7%. That's, that's suitable for basically any company, any industry. It's, that's very good. So just knowing each other's names changed all these things. This is crazy. That's such a simple thing, right? I think it was in the book Blink, but I could be wrong on which book it actually is. But they talk about the distance between offices influencing how much you are sort of perceived as part of the team as as a leader or boss. And so I think in the book they say 
that if the boss's, the manager's office is like 100 feet away from everyone else's, they're actually perceived more as like a barrier, almost like not as part of the team. But if the, the, the boss's office is right there with everybody else's and very close and it's like, you know, a few steps to just say, hey, wanted to run this by you. Hey, we're going out for lunch. Hey, whatever. Like all of a sudden you're part of the team. You're part of the crew because you're with us. You're here, here by us. So these very, very simple things have high impact on teams and satisfaction, things like that. So the reason I'm telling these stories is because in a virtual environment, you're automatically distanced from people. The importance of knowing each other and having a, an even greater uh, comfortability to make phone calls or, or put meetings on your calendar or bring up real issues, these things are all like much more sort of relevant now. They're, they're in your face. And so we need to make sure that we address them head on. So in a virtual environment, people don't have the luxury of talking to one another at the water cooler or going to lunch or just sticking their head up over the, you know, the, the cubicle wall and saying, hey, I want to, you know, how was your weekend or I want to run this by you or whatever. So therefore, there's no natural environment for small talk. And that's that that results in more negative emotion, self-doubt, insecurity in your job. And you, you want to avoid that at all costs since that feeds into, you know, creativity and collaboration and those kinds of things. People feel more isolated, unsure of themselves, uncomfortable asking questions, more hesitant to bring up real issues. We need to avoid those things. And so in order to overcome these types of issues, you have to intentionally pull out some of the strange things that you just pick up on by spending time with people. So you might have to organize many more hangouts and things like that. Have like trivia, and team trivia, team games, ask questions about favorites of categories. What's your likes and dislikes, your bucket lists, their stories previous to joining the team, self-proclaimed strengths or maybe weaknesses. You might want to be cautious about that. Hobbies, favorite vacations, etc. Like you've got to really organize like pulling this stuff out of people so that everyone gets a level of a level of comfortability and familiarity with one another, which will increase collaboration, creativity, productivity, a sense of belonging, etc. Also, you're going to have to provide more positive verbal and written feedback than you would in a face-to-face environment because there's no cues. So you really have to make a concerted effort to make sure that you're verbalizing gratitude and praise and thank you and a lot of those types of things. Uh, Otherwise, they're literally sitting at home wondering how they measure up, if they've done good, if they've done bad, what the feedback is, what's the consensus, right? So make that a high priority. Make your goals and directives extremely clear with the sufficient amount of instruction and support. Again, 
Same as the last one. They're they're isolated. They're alone. They have no idea if they're doing a good job, a bad job, what they're doing. If you give them an assignment with unclear directives, they're going to sit there and spin in circles and not know what's going on and where they're at. And that's not the type of emotion you want going on. You want them to be able to own a project and then get after it. Uh, encourage the team to connect with one another without you present. You want to get them talking to each other, talking in groups, both on, in groups and one-on-one. Make them feel like they are both accountable to the team and also accountable or responsible to make sure that their team members are successful as well as themselves. Uh, make it a, a real team, almost like a military unit that's like we sink or swim together. And that's going to require a lot of interpersonal conversation, things like that. So they need to know their team's strengths and weaknesses if that's going to be the case. If they're going to be accountable for their team and accountable to their team, they need to know each other. They need to know who's strong in what areas and who can I reach out to in a pinch. If it's a data issue, do I go to this person or this one? If it's a sales tactic, who should I call? So keep interactive groups very small, as small as possible whenever possible. If you're looking for interaction, you do not want to get more than maybe five, six, seven people on a call. You get beyond seven and basically nobody's talking. (laughs) You might have that one person that's always willing to talk, but that's not really an interactive group. That's a one-on-one conversation with several other people listening. So if you want interactive groups, keep them very small and come with questions Have people prepare beforehand to be engaged. Otherwise, your your meetings will be dull, unengaging, and people will be looking at their phones while you're giving a presentation. So make sure that they're interactive and keep them small in order to to, to help with the interaction. Have a very clear mission and talk about it frequently. You need to live it in your person and in your work. You need to help your team members to grab hold of that vision. So the quote I started with is basically you want to give them a responsibility and tell them, you know, let them know that you trust them to accomplish that responsibility. This vision is going to be bigger than their single responsibility, but it's going to be very much attached to the fact that they are going to be motivated to to own their, you know, their territory, their process, whatever their, their job is. So you want to live that vision, talk about it frequently. They, People, they want to feel that they're part of a worthy cause. And keep that in mind. Write that one down. Make them feel like they're part of a worthy cause. If you can accomplish that, there's no stopping your team. Because people love that. So as human beings... We want to be a part of the project. We want to have a process that we're working on that's got purpose and meaning to us. So help them fill that. And then when people have it, and they're also empowered to go achieve that goal, uh, they're much more efficient. They take more pride and joy in their work and do better work. They also will work exponentially more hours than if you were like, managing them to get these things done and the faster they do them the better and it's like that whole efficiency mindset and you're trying to crack the whip and keep them on task and decrease 
interpersonal communication so that they're still working, 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 you get less production out of people in that environment than if they have meaning and, and feel empowered. They'll put long hours in and they'll do great work. You want to be able to trust that they will figure out the solutions and barriers. So you need to support them, empower them, have a lot of conversation to make sure that you understand what they're doing. But don't make it about, tell me what you've done lately. Make it more of a, let's collaborate, let's touch base, let's figure these, what are the next steps out, you know. Help me understand what you need kind of things. They'll be motivated to innovate, collaborate, and own the role. The last thing that I'm going to mention is praise and reward your employees as the entire person, as an entire human being that does a lot of good things and that you're just grateful for who they are. Not for singles tasks, spreadsheets, or isolated events. So many employers sort of destroy morale or ruin the efficiency and things like that by only rewarding a specific thing and you're basically discrediting or discounting all the other amazing aspects of a human because nobody's just good at one thing and that's the only valuable thing. We want teams with diverse backgrounds and varied strengths and things like that so you don't want to just only reward one strength and then somebody's trying to compete in an area that's actually their weakness and it's not really why you hired them. So you want to reward people as a human being. So what that looks like is if it's a thank you note, just say, hey, thank you so much for being awesome. Love working with you. Thanks for picking up my the slack the other day. Uh, Always a pleasure to work with you. All right. Uh, hey, thanks for filling in for me in that meeting. I love that you're so agile and able to work in so many different capacities. That's what makes a great team. Like, you don't want to just, you, you can still bring up the isolated event, but you make it more about them as a person, not the single thing that they accomplished. Anyway, This is nowhere near close to a comprehensive list, but these are a few things that you can implement to help your uh, remote teams to be high, high achieving, to be attached to a worthy cause and to do great work. And uh, I hope this helps. For more resources, head over to the website, bronsonwilks.com. I've got our books list. We've got podcast episodes. We've got YouTube videos. There's inspiration on there. So there's plenty of different things. Please head over there and check that out. Also on YouTube and Facebook, jump on our uh, Build the Life You Want Facebook group or page or both and join the conversation there. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com slash store 
and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.